Hello to all of the beautiful listeners, all ladies and gentlemen out there in Radio Land. It is 3.20 p.m. and it is October 27th. We are here at Between the Gutters and we are going to talk sensually about comic books to all of you, you, our listeners. <laughs> I tried to keep a straight face, but it... <laughs> It, it it just wasn't happening. Once you said the word sensual, it it just triggered something deep inside me. I, where I wanted to try a new opening. I wanted that's to a good opening, though. Yeah. That I, I don't know if I dropped any panties, but, you know. If you could speak in that tone of voice for the entire duration of our podcast, we might get some new listeners. That's true. Um, let's, uh, we, that could be our new gimmick, you know. Yeah, we could be the sensual, sensual podcast. Books. Yeah, the sensual yeah. comic book podcast did you ever notice how superman spit curl just has a come hither twirl to it did you ever notice that his spit curl always forms the shape of an s i did i did i believe that s stands for sensual <laughs> Dude, you are you are good albert you are Dude, good like you the, are good the sensual supremeness of superman lots of s's <laughs> All right, all right. L- let me try it too. <laughs> You're listening to Between the Gutters with Albert Lamb and Drew Tan. This is the comic book podcast where we talk about the stories within the panels. Mm-mm-mm. Sensually. Sensually. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to get really close to the mic throughout the course of this. And yeah. I don't know how many times I can say sensual that close to your face. <laughs> Probably not too many times. Yeah. I think we're already over the limit. Yeah, it's it's uh, distracting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do we have on the docket today, Albert? Today we are continuing our countdown of the 25 greatest Marvel comics Ooh. of all time. We are back on it, baby. Back on the countdown. Back on the count to the C to the D. Down. Ain't no stopping us. Can't stop, won't stop. No, serve. <laughs> Shanka di Donka. We haven't we haven't Shonka-donka. had a sh- we haven't had a good Shanka Donka here on a, in a while, not. man. And that's why I decided to like add a little bit to it. Yeah, this is Shanka Donka for Let, the next generation. Let's hear let's hear your most sensual Shanka Donka. Hello, beautiful people out there in Radio Land. I'm just I just want y'all to know Shanka Donka, Shanka Donka. It's Shanka Donka time. <laughs> So, what, uh, so, as usual, as per our normal, uh, podcast rules, uh, we, our four criteria for, um, how we define the greatest comics, Marvel comics of all time are through craft, impact, originality, and ability to withstand the test of time. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, what was it, a, a hundred or a couple hundred scholars and academics that we locked in a room and forced them to read every single Marvel comic ever made. That's true. We also uh, found the uh, foremost telepaths and soothsayers in mm-hmm. uh, across the country, and we brought them together to uh, read tea leaves and, um, you know, cat bones. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- all that means is that this ranking is the most indisputably yeah. definitive list of all time. Yeah. We've uh we've used the best science 
as well as the most powerful mystics to yep. determine this list. Exactly. So there is no debating, no arguing. Yeah. All it is is the list. The list exists yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. It is immutable unless something better comes and, along in the future. But, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> at, at this point in time, it's immutable. Yeah. And if anyone challenges me, I, I won't hesitate to slap them in the face. There you go. And he'll I, he'll I slap will, exactly. Albert will slap you in the face, and then while you're yeah. while you're lying <laughs> sprawled on the floor, he will whisper sensually in your yeah. ear. I, I will just stand and gyrate on top of you until you <laughs> submit to just the accuracy of this list. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So uh, now that now that now that we've got that established, the last time we uh, were on our countdown, we we uh, ended up with. Uh, what was it? Numbers 10 and 9, right? So we had X-Force and Ecstatics at number 10, and we had Runaways at number 9. So today, we're going to cover numbers 8 and 7 on the list. So right. what's what do we have at number 8, Albert? Today, for number 8, we have Marvels by Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. Art by Alex Ross and words by Kurt Busiek. Mm -hmm. Although I do believe Alex Ross probably had some hand in... The some story, of the content yeah, as well. I believe uh, so too. This was a comic that this was a mini series that was made in 1994, published by Marvel Comics. Yep. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to <coughs> add to it in terms of uh, its production? Uh, I guess that's the main thing. It's it was a four issue mini series. Yeah. Uh, published January 94 to April 94, and there was also a, a number zero issue that mm. came out a little while after that. I think that had like a 12-page bonus story and some, some essays and some sketches. It's all available today in a trade paperback edition. Uh, maybe you can even find a hardcover somewhere. Yeah. I really do think that this is something that Marvel needs to reprint in a deluxe edition hardcover at some point. Yeah. Uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm going to sing its praises, but I do want to go over it a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So in terms of craft, the the first thing that I think is kind of an obvious and something that is this is really what i would say is indisputable but the the first thing that you notice about it is the art style of it mm -hmm. alex ross is the artist and he he's a painter so everything almost has this almost rockwellian like norman rockwell-esque quality to it yeah you know it's exactly. all it's all painted and it's all just glorious like the the, the colors are pretty subtle i'd say you know pretty realistic yeah it's drawn in a very realistic way and it's it's probably like when you if you were just to walk by into a comic book store and just to grab it off the shelf and just flip through it the first thing you would notice is just the quality of the art it's it's not your typical you know um comic book art and like you know uh it's not like your typical penciled and then inked and then yeah, exactly. normal coloring. It's actually it ain't Jim painted. Lee or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's very realistic uh, penciling. Uh, Alex Ross would pencil it and then paint it. Yeah. So it, and he would use uh, life models yeah. uh, posing for him. Uh, so it's it's just got this very realistic yeah. look to it. And like like you said, it's got this Norman Rockwell kind of style. And I I think. Most people would call him the Norman Rockwell of comics. It's the kind of artwork that stands out because it looks like art that you would see in a Norman Rockwell exactly. painting or exactly. in any sort of, I don't know, like a fine art museum or something. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so if you don't know Norman Rockwell, just as context, um, yeah, it's just very, it's very realistic. All, all the people and figures look um, true to life, mm-hmm. you know, so that just, just as an idea of what you'd be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in addition to his art style, um, I the, the other part of the craft is Kurt Busiek, just, just so you have an idea of... Uh, who he is he's he's a writer who had up to this point i think i think he'd still he he was already in comics for yeah. a while he was pretty well established at this point yeah. and he's kind of of the cloth of comic writers I, I would say like the spate of comic writers that came out with him were all guys who i think you could say they were fans yeah they were fans they were people who had a lot of love for comics up to that point and they were individuals who consumed that information and painstakingly put effort into memorizing every detail yeah. about comics history, <laughs> you know? Guys like him and Mark Wade. Yeah. And probably to a lesser extent like Peter David. Yeah. But yeah. Well, just they're comics historians almost. Mm-hmm. They just know a lot about the history of superheroes from Marvel and DC. Yeah. They got a lot of love for the superhero uh, mythology yeah, and yeah, genre. Yeah. Mythology is an excellent way to describe it because, again, the way that uh, Marvels presents it, it's it is a mythology. Yeah. yeah. So so speaking of that, uh, how would you briefly summarize the story of Marvels? So Marvels is a story that's done from the perspective of a journalist in the fictional Marvel universe. His name is Phil Sheldon, I believe. Yeah. And what. What it what Marvels essentially is is it's a retelling of the entire Marvel history, tr- trimmed of its fat up to this up to that point in time uh, when to uh, up to the point in time when the miniseries came out. So, um, yeah, if you can think about in the nineteen nineties up to that point, it's I, I think it's fair to say that com- uh, Marvel as a comics uh, company had been around what thirty. If not forty years, uh, well, Fantastic Four was what nineteen sixty one or so, yeah. and then if you count uh, all the way back to you know Captain America in, yeah, in yeah. the forties, yeah. then I think back then it was called Timely Comics. Right, right, right. Right. So it actually the story does the story in Marvels does stretch back to uh, the Captain America era. So. Yeah. It, the story actually begins uh, right around the outbreak of World War Two. Right, right, right. Uh, and progresses up to about like the mid seventies or so. Yeah, so it's yeah. So at this point, so up to so the the conceit of Marvels is essentially that we're gonna that Kurt Busiek took all of the existing Marvel continuity and streamlined it into one digestible story done from the perspective of your average everyman Mm -hmm. um and he did that purposefully with the reader in mind i think uh because he wanted the reader to experience what it'd be like to live to live in a world where we just marvel marvel at these at these heroes you know so um yeah it was it was a I, i would say it was a it was the perfect experience for, or it is the perfect experience for a reader who's kind of jumping into comics for the first time. 
Yeah. yeah, it's like a tour through the Marvel Universe from the perspective of a denizen of the Marvel Universe who's seeing all these things happen for the first time. So yeah. he starts off as a, a news photographer, journalist type of person, and, and he goes... He sees uh, Captain America um, and ends up going to uh, Europe to follow Captain America yeah. and, and the invaders during the war. And then comes back to America. And then uh, in the 60s when you got the Fantastic Four and the Avengers coming out and Captain America coming back. Spider-Man and the X-Men popping up. Mm-hmm. So all these things going on. Uh, and you just kind of see uh, this character, Phil Sheldon. You see his... His journey, his progression through the world, uh, you know, seeing... Yeah. Like, he's got his own family and his own career yeah. and all that, but he's always followed these... He calls them the Marvels. Yeah. He calls them Marvels because they're just they're these marvelous. marvelous figures, yeah. yeah. And he, he follows them and, yeah. and does stories about them and takes photos of them. And you get to see through his eyes yeah. uh, just the sort of impact that uh, they would have if, if you were to imagine a world where these fantastic powerful characters actually roamed what yeah. would it be like uh, to live in that world and how how would you feel as a normal person to have exactly. to experience the dangers and tribulations that these characters that the superheroes dealt with on a regular basis right right uh the other thing i wanted to interject was yeah you definitely from his perspective uh so this is a story that spans decades mm-hmm. um and it i think Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross do a good job of capturing kind of the evolution of comics within those time periods as well, because um, in a lot of ways, comics are responsive to reality, you know, like yeah. whatever's going on in the world at the time. Um, like we had that discussion not too long ago about how relevant comics are or whether comics are trying to be too relevant, too but, culturally relevant. Yeah. yeah but you know, realistically speaking, um, they don't necessarily exist in a vacuum. Like, they, they're they constantly trying to stay up to date. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say all art is somewhat of a reflection to different degrees exactly. of the creator's exactly. interpretation of the world, right? Like, exactly. no, no art is created in a vacuum. Exactly. So, you've just got to be able to analyze and yeah. interpret and, and look at what yeah. you're look at the text and see what you're seeing yeah. based in on how it uh responds to the real world and maybe you know there's certainly things where it's not really a factor but there are other pieces of work where it's clearly uh you know the the creator's worldview has somehow shaped their creation yeah 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 absolutely and i i think marvels is an example of cataloging that worldview mm-hmm. over the decades that Marvel Comics has been out because mm-hmm. Phil Sheldon's um, perspective evolves over time over the in the course of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the next um, bullet point, uh, <coughs> I, I, I want to discuss the impact of Marvel's. Mm-hmm. So how, how big of an impact do you think Marvel's had on comics as a whole like it, like we can afford to look at it now uh what 20 20 plus years mm-hmm. uh, 20 plus years out since this comic was made and i think we can kind of discern what 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 has happened in the wake of its uh, release 
yeah. if anything? Uh, I think one of the biggest impacts that I can think of right off the bat is simply the fact that it popularized the idea of painted comics. Mm. Um, up to this point, yeah, there were painted comics here and there, um, but you never really saw any painters that were like Alex Ross. A lot of the painted comics you'd see would be, they would either be like more kind of avant-garde indie projects um, or just really unusual uh, DC or Marvel comics, right? right. Um, but I think because Alex Ross, his painting and his storytelling uh, was so very clear, it made Marvel's, like number one, very attractive to look at. Number two, it was easy to read. I yeah. think a lot of a lot of other painted comics could end up being kind of pretentious, um, and the storytelling wasn't always super clear. Yeah. But because Alex Ross's style of painting was very realistic and very clear, his panel-to-panel storytelling was was excellent. I think it made made it really easy to digest. Yeah. And because of that, and because of the the just the, the all of the acclaim that Marvel's received at the time. At the time, it it, it won a couple of Eisner awards. Um, I think it won Alex Ross. Yeah, it Alex Ross won Best Painter. Uh, the series itself won an Eisner award for Best Finite Series, and it also won Best Publication Design for Comicraft, the letterer. Um, if, if you actually look at the original issues of Marvel's, they all they all. They're pretty nice additions of for single issue comics, you know. Each yeah. issue has a an acetate cover, and yeah, we we rag on, we definitely rag gimmick on gimmick covers, covers all the time. <laughs> but there's something about the acetate covers. It's like a sheet of plastic over the normal cover. Um, it over a cardstock cover, yeah. for that matter. It it just looks and feels like a substantial piece of art. Yeah, that's true. I always feel like when I'm handling the book that it's uh. Like, I need to be extra careful. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily due to its durability, but, like, I feel like I need to treat it with extra care. And respect. Of, yeah, respect, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's not It's not a typical comic book where you would... Where it has a flimsy cover and you can roll it up and just keep it in your back pocket yeah, and walk yeah, yeah, around yeah. like that. It's, It's got... It's an object that has value to it and, and permanence. It feels valuable. Mm. Uh... But, yeah, going back to where we were talking about the impact, definitely I think it made a lot a lot of people more interested in the idea of painted comics for mm. a little while during the 90s. I feel like we saw a good amount of attempts at painted comics, but nothing that was on the same level as Marvel's, at least nothing that yeah. won that sort of attention and, and the think, sales. Yeah, and I, I mean, like, I don't know if, it's, if there's, like, a direct correlation, but we, we have seen more painted or more painters enter comics since mm-hmm. then you know like what, what's his name uh uh who did origins paul jenkins and origins yeah oh you're thinking of uh that was one of the kubert brothers penciling it no but... no, no 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 not that origin the other one the 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 painted one um the painted origins the one where it was like a five issue series each one was painted and it was uh Oh, you're thinking of Mythos. Mythos, mythos. yeah, sorry yeah, about that. Mythos. mythos. Who drew that? Uh, Paolo Rivera. Paolo Rivera, yeah. yeah. So guys like him would enter, like... So, I, like, again, I don't know if there's any necessarily any correlation, but it 
it does feel like Marvel Comics was more open to the idea of um, letting more painters yeah. do their work. And there was know. a Gabriel Delato oh, yeah, Secret yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that was like a decade after Marvel's, but, mm. but, uh, like, even in the 90s, I think there were a good amount of painters. Yeah. Uh, it's just that a lot of them ended up not being too memorable. Yeah. Um, none of that, a lot of that stuff isn't stuff that is kept in print regularly. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I remember yeah. was uh, Warren Ellis kind of did a kind of a biting s- satire on Marvels called Ruins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that one had painted art as well. Yeah. Uh, Peter David... He did a comic called the, I think it was called the Last Avengers Story, oh, which yeah, is I it that. was sort of like a, an Avengers the End type of story, and yeah. that one had painted artwork too. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there were a good amount of painted superhero comics coming out in the wake of Marvels. The other thing that I want to mention is, you know, this isn't even the only thing that Alex Ross did. He eventually went on to do Kingdom Come. Yeah. And that was over at DC Comics, mm-hmm. and I think that's held in just as high a regard if not higher if not higher exactly so like alex ross's work if you just take marvels and kingdom come on its own those are that's a pretty amazing body of work yeah two classics right there exactly two classics within a relatively short span of time Mm. um marvels wasn't alex ross's first work before he did marvels he i know he did a, a terminator miniseries uh i forget what who the publisher was i used to i used to have a copy of it um and you could see his talent even even in his early work uh i don't i don't think the story was very memorable i think that might be why i ended up selling or giving away those (laughs) comics yeah but i think it was called terminator burning earth if you're an alex ross fan that might be worth uh checking out just tracking down somehow uh but yeah marvels is definitely something that built uh, the reputations and brands of these two creators, yeah. uh, Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. Can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. So, aside from the art, do you think Kurt Busiek's writing, or, yeah, was there any impact left over from what Kurt Bus- Busiek ended up writing from Marvels? Yeah, absolutely. I would say uh, Busiek, uh, I think you, you kind of touched on this uh, a couple minutes ago, but you mentioned how Busiek had already been in, he, he had been, and he had already been an established writer in the industry at this point, but Marvels was probably, as far as I can recall, probably his first really big hit. Mm. Um, I can't think of any other anything before Marvels that he did that gets as much acclaim. But with Marvels building his name, I think it really helped his career. And and if you ever read his his creator own series Astro City, mm. you can see a direct correlation or you can trace the dna of astro city to marvels because astro city is kurt busiek's uh creator own series where he invents his own uh superhero universe and it's a it's a universe that has that pays homage to the entire history of the mythology of superhero fiction Mm. each of the stories tends to be about some sort of man-on-the-ground sort of perspective. Mm. So the whole theme of Astro City is about living in a world where uh, the superheroes and powerful beings exist, but how is it for the common person, for the average Joe, and what's their take on the world that they live in? How do they react to different crises and secret wars and crossover events and things like that, you know? Yeah, it's it's sort of 
an expansion on the idea of um like i guess the phil sheldon perspective, yeah right? exactly where what would it be like for everyday people to live in a world with superheroes yeah what's yeah. what is it like for an average person to live in a world where his universe gets reset during a secret superhero <laughs> crossover crisis yeah 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 um yeah i i kind of wanted to go back to what you said earlier too and uh you're right after marvel's like if you look at busiek's body of work after that they put him on a lot of pretty high profile projects yeah like he he was on he wrote the avengers he even got to do his own uh eventually run out his own comic the thunderbolts or like mm-hmm. you know uh, i'm assuming that that was an idea that he he came up with on his own yeah um, he wrote Untold Tales of Untold Spider-Man, Tales of Spider-Man. Which was a really good run of Spider-Man from the 90s. Yeah. Maybe the best 90s Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like his fingerprints are all over uh, probably that 90s to 2000s era of Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. And um, those are really high quality comics. And uh, like, I don't know if it gets as much love or attention as like, you know, like Roy Thomas or like any of the like really high profile stuff, but you know, I I'd say it's 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 a great run, you know, it, and mm-hmm. he he even got to do the story where the Justice League and the Avengers crossed over yeah. for the first time, yeah, you know, ain't no one been able to do that since ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a one of a kind. Yeah. There's a a lot of uh other Alex Ross stuff that he did as well. Uh, I think we, we should also mention uh, how this affected Alex Ross's career because building his name on a book like Marvel's, uh, I suppose the next logical place for him was to go to DC, right? So that's how he ended up coming up with the idea of Kingdom Come uh, with Mark Wade, mm. And they ended up, you know, I'm pretty sure DC heard that they wanted to do a comic like that. And they were like, oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There was no hesitation. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. You know, they saw they saw what Alex Ross did with Marvels, and they wanted something like that for themselves. Yeah. And they got Kingdom Come, which is another classic. Alex Ross eventually uh, became more of a writer, I think, because well, I mean, he obviously still paints a lot of covers, but he hasn't really done too many interior stories. Since then, just because of how time-consuming it is. Yeah. It's yeah, uh, like if you look at just any panel that he's done, I imagine that that takes a lot of work. Yeah, and a lot of just it's a lot. Time. It's yeah, it's very time consuming. He ended up uh, coming up with a lot of stories though. Like for example, he did Earth the Earth X trilogy. Yeah, where he he did a lot of design work and sketches and things, but ultimately he co-scripted it uh, and somebody else penciled it. Mm. There was also um, so that was a whole series of things, right? It was Earth X, uh, Universe X, and Paradise X. Yeah. And those were pretty long. There was also, uh, a few years after that, I remember he did a Justice League 12-issue maxi series called Justice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he actually painted that. He, I, yeah, I think, some, yeah, somebody he, else, uh, Doug Braithwaite, uh, Doug Braithwaite, he ended up penciling it, yeah. and Alex Ross painted over him. He also did the uh, the one shots. Oh yeah, the, the Paul Dini yeah, one shots. Yeah, the Paul Dini one shots, which was like a series of oversized um, comics that uh, that he that that were basically supposed to sum up the essence of each individual 
characters. So you had one for Wonder Woman, one for Batman, one for Superman, one for Captain Marvel mm-hmm. slash Shazam, however you know him. I think those were the four. There, there was a Justice League one as well. Oh, there was? Yeah, they oh, did okay. an entire Justice League story. Okay, awesome. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, the the last, I don't know if what he did like super recently, but... Um, the main thing I know him for in recent days is doing a lot of covers. Yeah. Well, he did that Justice Society story, Thy Kingdom Come, which oh, yeah. was kind of his version of a sequel to Kingdom Come. Right, right. And he also did... He wrote uh, that one. He didn't draw it or paint it. Yeah, he just wrote that one. Yeah. He also... Di- didn't he do a bunch of stuff for... Like, didn't he start his own company or um, something? No, he 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 uh, did work for... I think it was Dynamite Entertainment. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. did this whole uh, meta series called Project Superpowers. Yeah. I know he did the covers for them. Uh, don't... I know he also co-wrote or wrote them were they like public domain characters or yeah they were so he project superpowers was about these uh superhero characters that were created back in i forget like the 40s or 50s and for some reason uh there's no trademark on those characters so they're they're public domain characters mm-hmm. and alex ross did the story about those characters i don't remember if he painted any of the interiors i just remember he did a lot of the covers and yeah. the storyline writing like, I remember before those were even released, like, the big sort of selling point w- of it was they would just show pictures of the covers. And yeah. It was like, Alex Ross drew these. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who's, whose covers will sell mm. the comic, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So now that we've discussed the impact, I want to discuss further, or I want to explore the originality mm-hmm. of something like Marvel's. Yeah. So up to this point in uh, in comics, had we seen anything like Marvel's? Uh, you know, I hesitate to say that we had never seen anything like it at all. Yeah. Uh, because I'm not one of those academic and scholars who was locked in a room and forced to read every <laughs> single comic in existence. Yeah. Uh, so so my personal. Yeah understanding may be limited yeah. by what i've read and what i've heard of and what i'm aware of mm. uh but if any of those guys are still alive after all this time maybe we should yeah we really should feed them yeah yeah locking them up and not feeding them might have been a bad idea yeah <laughs> i guess now they're too busy reading all the dc comics right working on the exactly. working on the list for dc exactly <laughs> but yeah I was, I was i was gonna say that uh with marvels um it's certainly the one that stands out yeah. because I, if there had been anything comparable to it, it 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 wasn't anything that was as widely known as Marvel's like when you think or about popularized yeah or yeah. popularized Marvel's was the one that made that kind of style of storytelling popular where it was about humanizing yeah. uh the heroes that's true, that's true. um yeah like it, it feels like if we were coming out of an era where humanizing a character meant that everybody had to have flaws and everybody had to have like addictions and like <laughs> yeah um you know just ugliness and nastiness about their their characteristics like i guess i don't know if this was necessarily a throwback but it was i guess it was a modernizing of the idea that mm-hmm. you know to humanize someone doesn't necessarily mean that he's got to be a drug addict or he's got to be like you or me or something like that he's he's humanized them within the confines of how great they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, like their humanity is 
what makes them great, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say in terms of originality, like I, I don't know if the idea of like reinventing or repackaging the origin of something is necessarily new because up to this point, even in cartoons or whatever, uh, there's always this attempt to sort of retell their origins or retell those stories. Yeah. And like even up to this point in the '90s, we we might have been seeing like some version of like the early cartoons that they were making mm-hmm. and those presented those origin stories or a lot of those stories repackaged for television so the idea of you know retelling or re uh doing the origin as this new story isn't in it of itself a new idea right but i do think that what they did was they did the best version of that retelling the iconic version exactly the iconic version i I think that's an excellent way to uh put that um yeah another thing that i wanted to mention was what you brought up earlier when when you discussed um the cultural relevant concept uh because i do think that uh with marvels i think I haven't read, or I don't remember if I ever read any interviews with with Busiek or Alex Ross where they discussed um, some of the choices that they made in telling the story. But if I were, just as a reader, if I were to try and and think about the story critically, it does feel like a reaction to a lot of the things that had been going on in comics up to that point. Mm. Uh, So keep in mind that this comic was published in 1994, so... I'm sure it was gesticulating in their minds uh, for a couple years before that and probably took Alex Ross a a good number of months to finish painting everything. So if we just think of it as a story from the early 90s, let's think about what was going on in the early 90s in comics. Well, there was a whole bunch of trends that were happening with the whole uh, kind of grim and gritty Mm. style of of superheroes where you, you had characters like... All the pretty much all the image characters, right? Yeah. Your spawns, your uh, cyber force, Cygor, <laughs> death kill, rip claw, murder blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you had you had all of these uh, guys that were supposed to be superheroes, but they were also fearsome and bloodthirsty and deadly, tortured. tortured. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, then you had characters like. Uh, even with Marvel, you had characters like Ghost Rider yeah. or the Punisher who had been... And Wolverine, like all of those characters yeah. got really popular yeah. in the early 90s and Carnage and Venom because they were they were like these dark, mirrored versions of traditional yeah, superheroes. Yeah, like they were... They didn't adhere to that idea or, or the, you know... Yeah, the, morality the, of of the morality of the old not killing. which was, oh, good guys don't kill yeah. and, you know, we're not... We're not bothered by that because we're we're proactive. We're tough. <laughs> yeah, we see a bad guy, we'll kill we'll kill him. Yeah. You know, so it's if it's, a kid gets in the way, well, too bad for the kid. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of tone that was prevalent in yeah. comics in the early '90s, and I think with Marvels, you kind of see see uh, Ross and Busiek completely step away from that idea. Yeah. The whole concept of Marvels is the superheroes are there to protect us and they're there as inspirations. Yeah. A big part of the storyline and Phil Sheldon's uh, journey 
throughout his character growth in the in the story yeah. is how he reacts to the appearance of these marvels. At first, of course, when he sees them, his first instinct is fear. Uh, well, he, he's afraid. He's shocked. Let's go back a little bit. Like, so remember how I mentioned earlier, like how the the issues sort of follow that trend or follow the evolution of comics, right? Mm-hmm. So the first superheroes that we see are guys like Captain America. Yeah. Like those are so. Well, I guess you're right. The the first when he first sees the Human Torch, he's pretty afraid of him. Yeah. But but then you have guys like Captain America, and they look like them. You know. And yeah. He's just perfect. Yeah. And they're almost gods on earth. You mm-hmm. know, just people doing amazing things and people that you look up to. People that you can trust. Yeah. People that fight Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that used to be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about culturally relevant. <laughs> yeah. So, so with Phil Sheldon in his world, uh, his 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 vantage point into the Marvel universe, uh, yeah, obviously he when he sees these powerful beings, there's a little trepidation because he doesn't know what they are. He doesn't. He's never seen anything like it. But then once he sees Captain America and, and the invaders fighting Nazis. He's a full supporter of them. Even yeah. even when he gets caught in a crossfire. I remember there's a scene early in, in the story where uh, Namor and the Human Torch are fighting and a stray brick hits Phil in the eye while he's trying to take photos. And it blinds him. It blinds him in one eye. But even then, he, he doesn't lose his faith and his optimism in, in heroes. Yeah. Then you, f- you fast forward a few, several years. Um, Phil Sheldon has a family. He's got a wife and two young uh, daughters and this is right around the 60s when you got the Fantastic Four and the Avengers coming out and at yeah. first they come out and everybody loves them you know that now that generation of, of citizens has their own heroes yeah. Then, but then you get characters like the X-Men and Spider-Man coming yeah. out and if you remember your early Marvel history lore uh, mutants were always hated and feared. Yeah. Spider-Man was portrayed by the press to be a menace yeah. and a and a bad guy. So people were starting to see these guys that look like superheroes, but from their perspective, they could be bad guys. Yeah, they weren't like them. Yeah, yeah. they were different. They were unknown. They were to be feared and mistrusted and even yeah. hated, scorned. Yeah. But Phil Sheldon, he's a guy who sees their actions and, and their deeds. Yeah, He's not intimidated by the the aura or the the slander from the press yeah. but he just sees them as as heroes that yeah. are deserving of respect and, and trust because they've got some sort of moral uh, center that yeah their you know, goodness yeah their goodness uh like sort of supersedes their his perception or mm-hmm. whatever the general public's perception of the them is yeah um it reminds me of the scene in marvels where he comes basically face-to-face with mutants or the ideas of mutants uh, as, as, as a concept, right? Yeah. And um, it's a scene where you have the X-Men and they've just saved somebody from falling off, like, a ledge or something like that. And he he's there witnessing all, all the things that they've done to save this mm-hmm. guy, but there's a murderous mob there, and because these guys are mutants, they hate them. Yeah. And they, they look at, um, like... So the Iceman creates an ice slide to, like, you know, gently bring the guy down so that he doesn't just have a hard drop and die, basically. <laughs> yeah. But then the mob looks at this and they, you know, they're shouting at him. He, like, 
oh, he tried to blast them with some ice, and they're just, <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, this, this, this experience leaves him kind of rattled, because he's really not sure what to think of this new kind of hero, he just, he doesn't know what to think of mutants, and then, while this is all happening, um, his daughter's, like, what he thinks is going on is that they've got some sort of pet, the, 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 they're like sneaking food to a puppy or something like that in their basement in their basement but then one night he goes down and he he discovers that it's not a puppy it's actually a little girl who's a mutant yeah and she was basically her family was chased away and she she has no one and she's hiding out with his daughters and for the first time the idea of what a mutant is he's he's confronted with the idea of what a mutant is and it's not this you know um harbinger of death or doom it's it's a person you know yeah it, it, it's there's a human face on it it's a little girl with uh you know physical uh mutations yeah exactly yeah you know and he just comes to realize again like it just brings out his his not necessarily admiration but i guess it just reaffirms his his trust in these heroes you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah now I think uh, little aspects of the story like that thematically, it really does stand as kind of a counterpoint to a lot of the stuff that was going on in the 90s. Mm. And, and the interesting thing, too, is, is I think when Alex Ross uh, and Mark Wade did Kingdom Come, that's an even bigger and more direct reaction against yeah. the 90s trend. Absolutely. But with Marvel, it's it's a little bit more subtle, I think. Mm. Uh, I, and I, like I said, I never read any interviews with Busiek or Ross, so I don't know if that was their intent. But as a reader, that's that's definitely one of my takeaways from it is is yeah. how it's a reaction against the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the other thing that I wanted to discuss was as yeah, even as we see the progression. Um, as the story progresses, we'll, we'll even notice that even the heroes that we kind of love, like the Fantastic Four, you know, the traditional heroes, mm-hmm. even at one point, there's there's moments where I think it's sort of a commentary on how we, we the, uh, you know, the uh, comics readers in our world kind of view these heroes mm-hmm. and what our attitude is currently, which is um, there's, there's this scene in uh, King in Marvel's where basically Galactus has just come to earth and, you know, he's kind of, he, he's threatening the world. He's going to consume the entire planet and people are just terrified. Mm-hmm. And the fantastic four are basically earth's only hope and they go out and they do battle and, there's even this dramatic moment where everyone's up there and they're watching the Fantastic Four fight this giant-sized man. And there's this moment where they think that the Fantastic Four have lost. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty dramatic. It's just, you know, all it's just uh, Phil Sheldon is walking around on the street and he's looking at everybody's face as they're gazing up at their last chance and their last hope of these heroes and watching as they fail. And ultimately the Fantastic Four triumphs, but even in the face of that triumph, like uh, the next day, more or less, or 
a relatively short time after, people in the press and people on the street are just talking about how, oh, it was all a hoax and it's not real. <laughs> and I think that's kind of, that was kind of the, I don't know if that was the attitude of like people, like, you know, uh, of comics readers, but uh-huh. there, it did feel like it was a response to kind of this uh, idea that comics had to be sort of, yeah, they it, it, that idea that oh these characters had to be flawed or mistrusted in order to they had to be misunderstood in order for us to like relate to them, right? Uh-huh, so there's uh-huh. this scene where Phil Sheldon is walking out into this uh you know, into this crowd and they're just like, "Did you hear? Mutants all the time with those have to bother us anyway. Can't they just keep to ought to put those X-Men in jail as a lesson to and it's just a bunch of like these disparaging comments. And Phil just loses his mind and he just starts shouting at them. He goes, you people, what do you need? The world to actually end? (laughs) You know, and I I do think that that's kind of a commentary on, on like, just kind of how, as fans, how we treat these characters, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they do good and they're heroic and... There's something, there is something kind of wrong with us when we look at, when we read these stories and we tell ourselves, I'm tired of that and I just want them to be dirty and ugly and gritty and, you know, like, I want them to feel as bad as I do, you know? <laughs> like, there, there's, yeah, and, and again, like, I, I don't know what, Kurt Busiek or Alex Ross is thinking in this moment, but in that moment, it does feel like he's talking to fans just in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, exactly. What do you want? Like yeah. these guys are out here and they're like saving people and they're like teaching us what it means to be good. And all you can do is just mistrust them and kind of crap on them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, that works. Uh, even if you're not super, uh, deep into the history and lore of superheroes because even as a s- simple social commentary it, w- it it works as a as a critique of um, how people you know people tear down celebrities or or uh, anyone famous. any anyone famous <laughs> like yeah. figures public figures like yeah. there's always uh, you know someone can be a, a hero one day and then the next day you, you'll find some scandal or something or people are always looking for some something to show that oh this guy that everybody seems to love he's not so good he's because a hypocrite. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah and and i'm not saying that obviously you know some people really are hypocrites yeah. you know some there's a lot of celebrities and famous people out there they're not as good as we probably think they are but there's still some that probably are decent yeah. people as well, right? So and sometimes some people just make mistakes. And, yeah. Like I wouldn't say that those mistakes are indicative of who they are all the time. Yeah, you know? but I think the fact that the general masses, the public, uh, we like scandal. Yeah, people love tearing down heroes. Yeah. Is is what it kind of boils down to. People yeah. love to just drag down someone who's higher than them. And that you're you're making an interesting point because like th- these are comics, these are works of fiction, mm-hmm. and it's up to the writer. The writer can write any kind of world in which they exist, right? Yeah. And essentially, they're writing comics for the masses. And if the masses don't want 
our heroes to be perfect, then what do you want? You know, like then if, if what's selling at the time is, you know, uh, the the ugliness that they want, where they want someone to have to deal with, you know, addiction or mm-hmm. whatever human flaws that all of us have. <laughs> if that's if that's the type of storytelling, if that scandal is the thing that sells, then, you know, what is what sort of hope does that put in <laughs> the rest of humanity, <laughs> right? Like it, it reminds me of. Uh, Planetary, this Warren Ellis yep. story, right? I was waiting for you to bring that up. Yeah, I, and I, hey, I do not disappoint. I mean, in other ways I do, but... <laughs> <laughs> not when it comes to comics. <laughs> so, um, Planetary is this story, is another comic series about um, these... They're, they're, they're basically the archaeologists of the impossible. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of superheroes meets X-Files in the sense that you have these individuals who go out and they study bizarre phenomena. Mm-hmm. And there's one issue in particular that's a commentary on comics where this famous or this character was murdered and they're trying to figure out why he was murdered or the, the circumstances behind his murder. And eventually at the end what they find out is he was murdered by this kind of archetypal superman figure mm-hmm, yeah and um and the thing that you kind of have to read into the story is that uh the guy that was murdered was kind of a stand-in for i would say like what was he like 80s comics I yeah think? Uh, yeah, so yeah. he was sort of a stand-in for 80s comics, and when he was murdered by this Superman uh, uh, analog, the guy was just kind of losing his mind, and he was shouting at him, uh, shouting at his corpse anyways, and he was just talking about how, you know, I used to be good. You didn't have to, like, if you didn't like me, you could have just ignored me. You didn't have to make it, you didn't have to redo my origin so that I had to be a clone of Hitler's sex midgets, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And that's a pretty, it's, it's funny, but it's also a direct way to talk about what had been going on in comics yeah, at this time. And absolutely. This idea that, again, like, um, super, the, the idea of Superman, the most spotless, perfect character that was ever in existence. Um, so you mentioned earlier that there was this trend for how, like, people anti-heroes like the punisher and wolverine Mm -hmm. and venom were made popular well it wasn't just happening it wasn't just that those characters were made popular like the the industry was also making it so that even our established heroes had to be like that yeah so everyone was you know everyone had some sort of deep dark secret in their past everyone had some life-altering moment (sighs) they all got a new costume to make them look edgy edgy yeah so and yeah, so in Planetary, when this happens, the guy is kind of losing his mind, and it's 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 a pretty funny moment, you know. Uh, just, but I I do think it it holds a lot of parallels to what they were doing in Marvels. Yeah, this, this idea that like, you know, uh, again, if we look at when this comic was published and when it was coming out in the '90s, like the trend was to do all this to all the heroes, and. What does that say about us when we can't just let our heroes be heroes mm-hmm. when they have to have scandals when they have to have you know tough decisions made and not always the right ones or whatever you know? yeah yeah it's uh something that really forces you to step back while you're reading it 
and kind of think a bit because it's it's the scene the scene that you brought up where he's where Phil just kind of yells at the crowd. That was one of the th- scenes that for me too as I was reading it. It it kind of made me do a double take. Like, wait, what Is am he I talking to us? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. It it totally, it was, but it was done in a way that was subtle enough where, because um, I remember when I was reading it as a younger person when I was a kid, that I didn't think twice. You know, I was just reading like a fun story. Exactly, but, I was just about to say like it didn't take. Uh, it wasn't until my most recent reading. Yeah, of it, like I guess I had to develop and become more sophisticated as a reader <laughs> for me to like make that observation where yeah. it was like, huh, you know? He's talking to us. He's talking to us, you know, as 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 fans. Yeah. Yeah. That's some. That's when you know you got some really good writing and some really good yeah. artwork right there. Yeah, if anything, I... So, I, I guess this would be a good point to segue into the test of time. Mm-hmm. But, if anything, that's proof that as a work, that this is something that rewards multiple readings mm-hmm. and where you i think it's fair to say that you actually get a lot more out of it as time goes by yeah yeah, yeah. i think as if, if this is one of your first comics that you read one or even one of your first or just one of your first marvel comics it's a really good introduction because it basically gives you a guided tour through the history of marvel comics yeah you don't need to know anything about marvel before you can enjoy this comic but as you develop your knowledge of marvel you're gonna you're gonna pick up all these little details that just kind of make you smile and then you're gonna end up just seeing all these different uh ideas presented through these characters that are more familiar and i think that's one of the things that makes marvels such a lasting piece of work because mm-hmm. you you never really can go wrong with it um whether you're an experienced reader there's going to be things that you can pick up from it and extract from it in terms of ideas. Or if you're a new reader, it's just going to be something that's going to... You, you can have fun with it, you know? You can enjoy it for the artwork and the story. Mm. You can use it to kind of educate yourself about the histories of the Marvel Universe and the different characters. Mm. Uh, it It's just something that is always going to be worth reading no matter how yeah. much time has passed bec- because the art... Yeah. It's it uh because it's painted. Yeah. It's it's got that Norman Rockwell sort of timeless, timeless. look. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't look like if you took if you took any other comic from 1994 and l- looked at it now, you could easily point at it and say, "Yep, that was a 90s comic." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? There's a very specific style of drawing inherent to this Everybody dark era. had to be like built a certain way. Every woman had to just have a, an insanely crazy bust size uh-huh. everything was just about uh, that like uh i don't know hyper exaggerated body type i guess yeah, yeah kind of that uh rob liefeld jim lee todd mcfarlane yeah. sort of school of thinking like an 80s music video or something yeah <laughs> yeah a l- lot of and in terms of the art itself there was always a lot of cross hatching and yeah. uh additional uh lines and just over rendering of stuff mm. whereas with marvels because it's just painted in a realistic style um if anything it it looks like it could be from the 40s or 50s or something you know yeah. just yeah. like some idyllic period in the american past except obviously the content being depicted isn't uh, of that era yeah but the the actual style of the art just looks like that timeless era yeah um 
just as an FYI to our listeners, in addition to Marvel's uh, X amount of years later, I don't remember exactly how many years later, they did do a follow-up sequel to it. Yeah. Um, it was called Marvel's Eye of the Camera. Mm-hmm. Also written by Kurt Busiek, but not drawn by him. Uh, not drawn by Alex Ross. Yeah. They did a sequel called Eye of the Camera in uh, 2009. Finally saw publication. Because it was something that they had been talking about for many years. Uh, but it never really came to fruition until uh, 2009. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, Alex Ross was not a part of the project. I'm not really sure why. Uh, it could have been because he was too busy or... For all I know, he, maybe he just had no interest in doing a sequel. Mm. But Kurt Busiek still wrote it, and uh, Jay Anacleto drew it, and it was it was still colored in sort of this more painterly style. Obviously, it's, yeah. it's not the same, but uh, just in terms of a reading experience, it's still a good comic and definitely yeah. worthwhile visiting. Uh, if you liked Marvels or if you enjoy Kurt Busiek's writing and his it's, other stories, yeah. you got to check out Eye of the Camera. Yeah, it's it just pretty much follows up on phil sheldon's story mm-hmm. like after after the events of marvels yeah if marvels takes you through the period of the marvel universe uh up to around the mid 70s i have the camera takes you through the 80s mm. so you see uh more of the x-men wolverine mm. characters like that uh and it's about phil sheldon and his family uh kind of reacting to the ongoing uh, nature of the Marvel Universe, seeing how things change over time, yeah. the different trends that are happening, and whether or not those are things that are to be lauded or to be uh, reviled. I remember me and you like had a conversation once about this, and uh, I could be remembering it wrong, but uh, did you did you say something to the effect of how this comic, if any, uh, this comic was it sort of had meta commentary regarding the idea of sequels. Oh, you know what? I do remember that conversation. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the specifics of, of what we said, uh, or what it was trying to say about sequels. <laughs> I, I can't. What the, what did I say? I, it it that was a few months ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, because uh, that was when I reread Marvels and yeah. Eye of the Camera, but. Yeah, I just remember that Eye of the Camera... It, it also has some meta-commentary to it. Um, kind of like what we were saying about the original Marvels and how there's plenty of social commentary in those pages. I think I think the same applies with Eye of the Camera. Maybe not as much social commentary as much as it has commentary uh, for comics fans and comics readers. Mm. The idea of, of revisiting... Um, Basically, trying to retread your success. Mm. You know, that's always kind of a, a shaky concept. Uh, oh, you that's true. Now that you mention yeah. it, because like, one of the, like, Phil's storyline in this is coming up with a sequel to yeah. his book in the first Marvels, yeah. right? Yeah, so, so just a little more context. In the original Marvels, part of Phil Sheldon's uh, story arc was that he would take all of, he took all of his uh, photos of superheroes, took his best ones, and he published a book and it became kind of a top seller in the Marvel universe. Just, yeah. just visions of these super pictures of these superheroes from uh, his photography eye. Yeah. And the book did really well for him. Helped him, uh, you know, financially and all that. And then by the time I have the camera begins, he's getting older in years, thinking about retirement. And his publisher 
keeps on saying, hey, you Marvels was, yeah, uh, your, your book Marvels, which was the name of his photography collection, your, your book Marvels sold really well. You got to do a sequel to it. When, when are you going to do it, man? It's going to be, you know, people are going to love it. Mm. Uh, and I think at one point they discussed, hey, what if you did a book uh, where instead of taking putting together your photos of the superheroes you did photos of all the supervillains or you know these other characters that were more you know vicious or whatever and and phil sheldon was thinking about it. he's like yeah i know that's gonna sell really well but i don't think that's what our it's not an idea that i can stand behind because i don't want to glorify that sort of excess violence i yeah, don't want to yeah, glorify yeah. people that i can't respect i want to i want to publish a book that you know, pays homage to yeah, the people that are worth best. emulating. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he fights really hard to, to do something like that. Uh, yeah, so there's definitely uh, that little uh, meta commentary about yeah. the, the nature of sequels. It makes it, it makes it a fun read, man. And, yeah. and it also does follow up on some of the... I won't, I won't say dangling plot threads in Marvels because I don't think Marvels has any dangling yeah. plot threads. Everything's but, intentional. But Marvels, uh, the sequel, Eye of the Camera, it does... Uh, take some elements and that you wouldn't think needed any follow-up but it because it's a sequel he, he Kurt Busiek kind of gives you um, a little extra yeah uh, you know just to follow up on certain characters story arcs and, exactly. and so you can kind of see what happened to these people yeah. in their later years or as the years have gone by and it's touching stuff man it's touching yeah. it's it's a good sequel it's got really good emotional content yeah man awesome Anything else uh, you want to say about Marvels? No, I, I think we've spoken at length and like deservedly so. It's a great series, and um, on top of that, like I, if you're just getting into comics, I would highly recommend this as your way in. It's I, I okay. I, the thing about it is, I don't know if it's a traditional comic in the sense that there's a bunch of action sequences or whatever. It might be. You feel free to disagree with me, but it might be a little more literary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think it's literary. I, I think it's commendable in its uh, attempt to be literary or. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, definitely. Yeah. So, I would agree with that. Yeah. Very good. So that's Marvels coming in at number eight on our list of the top 25 Marvels of all time. That's nice. 